When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. I am just a poor boy, though my story seldom told. I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles. Such are promises, all lies and jest. Still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one cover at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Butter Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about one of Bob Dylan's most unusual covers his version of Simon and Garfunkel's The Boxer from 1970s Self-Portrait is fellow Bobcat and returning guest, Rebecca Slayman. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. I'm glad to be back. I'm happy to have you back. Now, for anyone who doesn't remember, the last time Rebecca was on, we talked about Hearts of Fire. We did a <laughs> lengthy <laughs> dissertation on that uh, film and its checkered history. And Rebecca, you made quite the case for being a stan for that movie. Oh, as I'm happy to offer my insight <laughs> on the masterpiece of Hearts and Fire. So, so I wanted to have you back on the show to talk about a song proper. I, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I always like to, I love doing special episodes, but I also like to have everybody on at least once to just talk about a specific song. So I said, pick a song. And of course... You challenge me yet again, and you picked <laughs> The Boxer from Self-Portrait, one of, in Dylan Phantoms, known as, like, one of his worst covers in in the history of his career. But you're going to make an argument for it, and I am dying to hear what this argument is for, for the cover he does you know, The Boxer. You know, I was so surprised, actually, to hear that, because, you know, I'm not as connected to the older, long-standing Dylan fandom. And so <laughs> among people I know, we're like, this is the coolest song ever. So I was actually not expecting this, but I am happy to provide my arguments. And that is exactly why I'm having you on the show, because, you know, I am recognizing as I age rapidly uh, that, you know, I, I, that, you know, the Dylan work goes on and on and on. And now there's so many people of so many ages that love his stuff and that, you know, mm-hmm. I have my own sort of general sense of what's good Bob Dylan and what is maybe lesser good Bob Dylan, but mm-hmm. other people have different opinions. And so mm-hmm. I'm fascinated as to, again, like your take on, on this cover, but before we talk about Bob's version, like how familiar were you at all with the original, the Simon and Garfunkel? Not at all. I did not know about this song before I listened to the Bob version. Really? Yeah, really. Wow. So like, did you not, you did not know it existed at all? Or like when you got self-portrait, you just were like, is this Bob's just covering a Paul Simon song that I don't know? Uh, Sort of. I, I was listening to it. I think I had seen maybe some tweets about it. Um, And it was very early in my sort of Bob education. I was just going through like his whole career sort of album by album. And I got to this one. I was so like confused by it and it kind of made me understand Bob a lot more. And so I mostly look at it just through how, why he chose to do this song. So no, I didn't really have an idea of what it was before that sort of discovery. Huh. Now I assume you've at least heard the Simon and Garfunkel version at some point, right? Yes, I've now heard it, and I do have some questions for Bob's arrangements, mm-hmm. <laughs> having heard what it is originally. Um, 
but yeah, I, I mean, I've heard it now, but not it's beforehand. A, it's a stark difference. You know, I mean, the yeah. Simon and Garfunkel version is huge and operatic. And I, I was looking up some notes about it and they said that it took something like 100 hours of production time to get well, the finished version. A hundred hours for one song. <laughs> Bob Dylan has done how many songs in a hundred, you totaled up a hundred hours of studio time. He's probably done like eight albums in that time. Like what that, that, that's so antithetical to anything Bob would sort of approach. It's just amazing that right. you have the focus to keep trying a song and, and put that much time into it. To know, and of course, I mean, it, it was a big hit. It was actually mm-hmm. the first single off of uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. But yeah, I mean, it is Bob's version is just about as 180 degrees uh, away <laughs> from that, that original version. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at the lyrics, I... I'm looking at it from a, a Bob's perspective and it totally like fits in lyrically with Bob's themes in his lyrics. I mm-hmm. mean, it's about a guy down on his luck, you know, in the streets of New York city that can't get more Bob at, at the time. Yeah. It's a guy that left home, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it really does feel like a lot of ways that a, 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 a boxer. I mean, yeah, it's he, a boxer. Loves yeah, we, he loves boxing. Right. And we know all mm-hmm. that Bob's. Yeah. I mean, what is your, what was your general view of self-portrait? as a record when you got it and where, where, if you can remember where in the chronology of you getting into Bob, did you get self portrait? Was it early? Was it midpoint? I mean, where it was where, pretty early. Come? Yeah, it was pretty early. I, I was mostly listening to his very first couple of albums and then skipped ahead to self portrait because I was so intrigued by this cover actually. Mm-hmm. And then sort of worked back through the, country crooner voice and that is was kind of my introduction to that because i was like wow okay so he does this voice and then he does this other voice which meant he could have been doing the more mainstream voice this whole time Mm -hmm. maybe we don't Mm -hmm. know how he got trained or how he trained himself um but that's what made me more curious about all the different eras of bob and why he chooses to adopt these different voices um, so that was sort of a real gateway into the other eras beyond when he was 22, 23 years old. Yeah, I had come to Self-Portrait knowing that it was you know, infamously kind of like the first album that people really didn't cotton to. Mm-hmm. And when I got it, I was like, well, all right, I kind of get it. It's just kind of a mishmash of stuff. There's it some is, great yeah. stuff on it. There's some pretty bad stuff on it, uh, mm-hmm. as is typical with Bob Dylan. Once they released the bootleg series of it and you heard what was left off, Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, God, there's some really great stuff recorded at these sessions and he purposely right. didn't put them on. It seems like kind of willfully perverse. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you listen to the Dylan albums all the way through a lot or, do you, you know, is that it generally yeah. it's kind of all jumble? Yeah, I, I do go through the albums quite a bit and then I sort of pick my favorite ones off and make my own playlists mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, but yeah, it is curious how mishmash that album is. But because of the way that, you know, a lot of people now consume music, I guess it's not as weird because we don't think of albums Mm. as much anymore. Um, But when you think about it, like, it's different than the albums around it, but it is kind of similar to Dylan, the 1970 album, I was thinking, Mm -hmm. because it's just like a mishmash of different places that they recorded, different kinds of songs, and also a similar kind of voice on this song too. I mean, he was doing the covers as well with the Joni Mitchell cover and 
um, I can't help falling in love with you. Uh, so I guess that was just kind of, he must have been searching to cover other people's songs for a reason. And that's what I'm, I'm curious about. Yeah, I mean, this song, uh, I, I was curious as to like the, the timeline, because he recorded this for Self Portrait in March of 1970. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, okay, because I, I knew that Bridge Over Troubled Water, which is the last Simon and Garfunkel record, mm-hmm. came out in 1970. In fact, it came out in January of 1970. And I thought, wow, that's, right. a, that's, a, that's a fast turnaround. And then I you know, did some more research, and I saw that this was, uh, the Boxer was released as a single in March of 1969, which is very unusual mm. that you would have a single almost a year ahead of mm-hmm. the, the finished record. That's very strange. But it, so at the very least, this song was in the, on the radio, in the air, for a mm. full year before Bob decided to record it. Still, it was not, in 1969, it was not a classic. It was just mm-hmm. a new song that's not a classic the way it is now. It's a staple of Paul, of Paul Simon's career and stuff. So that... To me, that that says something about what Bob must have thought of this song that he went mm. and covered it so quickly right. after its release. It kind of reminds me of like Jimi Hendrix recorded along the Watchtower a month after that record came out. I mean, that's how mm. much he loved the song. He went and did it himself like three weeks later. Right. Um, that's that's an extraordinary thing for for Bob to do. So it's it's a nice tribute for for to, to, for Paul Simon, especially since Simon was the one who wrote it. Mm-hmm. I, I, but okay so make your case for this because i still i listened to it again this morning i'm like i just don't know about this rebecca that's funny you know since you said that i kind of went back and listened through it trying to find out like what's not to like about it because that had never even (laughs) crossed my mind i mean me and my friend julia on twitter were always talking about how fascinating this song is to us and how like cool it is that he did these two different voices duetting himself but of course, the way that Bob records is he never records the same way twice. Nope. So when you have him singing with himself, he's going to go off a little bit. He's going to not quite stick to the same harmonies or even maybe hit the notes mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. Um, but that really doesn't matter to me. I mean, I'm not a fan of Bob for the way that he sounds. It's more like what his what his concept is, what his vision is. Um, and it's, it's an exploration of why do we find him interesting? Uh, it's completely intentional. It's that he has this different voice. It's his interpretation of something that he finds fascinating, um, but not for the reasons why maybe the rest of us would find that song fascinating. Like you said, the orchestration is vastly different. I mean, when Simon and Garfunkel recorded it, they used uh, a door, I think, slamming into an elevator shaft to create that big, like, boom that sounds like unlike anything else. But that's not why Bob likes it. He <clears throat> likes it for his lyrical content and probably, I guess, for the harmonies. Um, and that just makes me love Bob so much. And why did he put it on a self-portrait album? Mm-hmm. How is this like a portrait of who he is? It's just so like rich, so much to think about in terms of who Bob is. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of my thoughts on it. I, I don't have any issue with Bob covering, and lyrically, uh, I mean, yeah, the, these lyrics are very Dylan-esque, and you could see why Bob would would take to it. When The second verse is, when I left my home and my family, I was no more than a boy in the mm-hmm. company of strangers in the quiet of the railway station, running scared, laying low, seeking out the poorer quarters 
where the ragged people go looking for the places only they would know. I mean, not in any way to insult Paul Simon, because I love Paul Simon. Uh, but that, I mean, that is almost a Dylan-esque bunch of lines. I mean, the, yeah. we're looking for the poor quarters where the ragged people go. I mean, you that could have fit <laughs> quite nicely into like Mr. Tambourine Man or something. <laughs> yeah. And you wouldn't know, you know. And that's, again, that's that's all to the good. It's, it is, again, you could totally see why Bob would like it. I guess my issue with the cover is that it's it's a gimmick and that a it's gimmick. two Dylan vocals stitched together. I think if Bob just sang it straight, either in either voice, that would be fine. But hearing him duet with himself, I just it to me it just I can't get my head around. It's just like okay. So yeah. it feels inauthentic to you yes. for Bob. Yeah, yes, yes. Just when, and, and I love both voices. I, lo- I mm-hmm. love the Nashville, Nashville Skyline voice, and I love the more sort of, you know, the older, grittier voice. But to mm-hmm. me, hearing him sing with himself just feels like, what? Like, why, <laughs> why would he do Now, this song is notable in the Dylan canon in that it is his first ever overdub. To this point, mm. Bob Dylan flatly refused to ever do overdubs. He <laughs> would, if if the take got ruined or there was some small part of it that was bad, he would re-sing the whole thing. And of course, mm-hmm. oftentimes completely changing it, either lyrically mm-hmm. or sonically. But this is, I mean, obviously, if you're going to do this, you have to do an overdub. So this mm-hmm. is the first time he ever probably put, you know, like uh, headphones on and sang along to a pre-recorded track, which of course was him. Mm-hmm. singing it but that's that that's the part of it that still doesn't work for me is that it just feels so weird to hear one the one dylan voice and then on the other la, 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 la. like it just feels so <laughs> strange to me but obviously it works for you yeah i it feels weird it feels inauthentic i, I never thought of it that way i just kind of assume i take all of dylan's um talents and like opinions with a grain of salt so i'm like all right if this is what he did i guess this is what i have to accept and sort of figure out but you're just like this isn't him so why why do you think he chose to do this i don't it it's it feels like a concept piece and dylan has never been one big for concept pieces i Mm -hmm. think that's part of it it just again i think if he had just sang it just sang it like just saying mm-hmm. I mean, Paul Simon just sings it, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's no, and I mean, people have surmised that it's, it's Dylan is making some sort of comment about uh, one version of the boxer is he's, it, it's the modern version of Bob, of course, the 1970 version of Bob mm-hmm. sort of reflecting on the 1962 version of Bob, the, 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 oh. the, the, the very, the Bob that is sort of ostensibly maybe the character in the song coming to New mm-hmm. York and struggling to survive. And I've, I think I've mentioned on other episodes, the line about uh, where he says, asking only workmen's wages, like I'm looking for a job, but I get no offers just to come mm-hmm. on from the whores on 7th Avenue. People have suggested that that is a reference to Columbia Records, the whores on 7th mm. Avenue, which is <laughs> kind of knock on, uh, yeah, on, on the music industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of course, by that point, he had had a lot of experience as well. And obviously had some thoughts about what mm-hmm. it was. I knew, ironically enough, it was on the same label as mm-hmm. uh, as as bob which was columbia records but that's i've always heard that now whether it's really that who knows mm-hmm. i've read some interpretations that that's why bob's doing two different voices it's my mm-hmm. it's new bob it's i was so much older than i'm younger than that now kind of thing mm-hmm. but I, I can only go by what i hear in my in my ears when i hear it 
And mm-hmm. I just, I just go, eh, eh. <laughs> I just don't know why he's doing it. But again, obviously the first time you heard it, it worked perfectly well for you. It just, it, yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause it made me realize how, um, he could be doing either voice at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. So he has a lot of control over it in a way that people assume he doesn't. Um, But also to your point, it also seems like Bob kind of gave up on it halfway through. I mean, there came a point probably when he was recording and trying to sing along with himself and was like, "Eh, that was good enough. So there are like quite a few mistakes in the song and generally with his sort of crooner voice, um, I think Laura definitely Dylan told me this once that when he's singing in his crooner voice, he is much more off key and misses Mm. a lot more notes. So maybe that just shows like what he prioritizes differently now in, in the modern voice of 1970. Um, just like trying so hard to sound uh, smooth and croonery rather than scraggly and, and kind of whatever. Uh, but yeah, it still works for me, even though it's not that great. It's, it's its own thing. It stands on its own. And I show this song to people now who don't know the whole Dylan community and their thoughts on it. And they're like, huh, that is pretty cool. What? <laughs> That's amazing that is pretty to me. Cool. Yeah. That's that that is amazing to me that so many people are like, yeah, that's really great because I even like famously when the when the album got reviewed in Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. um, Grill Marcus re- picked out this song and just said, "Jesus, is it awful?" They <laughs> <laughs> said that back when they used to write reviews like that. Uh, right. But so that's so again, you've been playing this for people. This is something you would play yeah. to somebody as an uninitiated Dylan fan. That's amazing yes. to me. Well, because it's so different than what people expect. I think in the wider cultural canon of who Bob is, is people think of, I don't know, must be Santa now or like, and I'm like, that's not his voice. That's not the only voice he can do. Mm -hmm. And so this is my example of like, look, he can do all these other things at the same time. Isn't that interesting? He can harmonize with himself. He knows what notes are. (laughs) It is amazing to think that he had the ability in that time to pull out that voice whenever he wanted to i know like i mean he must have gone through some kind of training but we have no records of that which is insane to me um and it was during the time when he got to rest his voice and wasn't touring that he came back out with this new one so it must have been something to do with i don't know being in the woods being with his family maybe just resting uh I don't know. That that really fascinates me. Where did it even come from? There's I read in I forget which book I read it in, but there's a boot uh, in this book I read, they talk about that there's a bootleg from like 1960 or 61 before he was even really famous. And mm-hmm. it's him recording songs at some friend's house as he was doing a lot of and one of the songs he sings, he breaks out the National Skyline voice. No way. In like, yeah, in like 61. And Whoa. they said it's really surreal to hear because it's before he even became quote unquote Bob Dylan, and yet here he is singing like that, and and then he just drops it for the, re- the all the other songs. It's, it's so he goes back to his kind of Sandy voice. So yeah, he has he had that in his hip pocket for however many years. I doubt he could do it now. Maybe that is I don't know. so funny. Oh my god! See, that's exactly what makes me insane when I think about Bob Dylan. Is what. Why does he sound like, why did he choose to sound like bad for so long? <laughs> why did he choose to sound more Sandy when he could have, he could have appealed to, I don't know, more mainstream stuff. 
Yeah, and <laughs> you gotta gotta follow his muse, I guess. And he's just, what he's gonna do? Wouldn't it be amazing if he could do it now? Wouldn't that be just <laughs> mind blowing? Yeah. All of a sudden, in the middle of a concert, he starts pulling that voice, and you're like, "What? Like, you're holding <laughs> on to this for this long? What are you talking about?" Oh my god, that would be amazing. Like I said, but I'm I am really fascinated that that you've introduced this to people because I would literally put this. Of like the th- however many Bob Dylan songs have been recorded, like yeah. nine hundred songs, I would put this around eight ninety seven. Oh the ones God. I would show, play for somebody, and yet this is something you're like, oh yeah, no, try this, try this. It's really, yeah. it sounds it- like you have some biases. I think that you've adopted from the community. <laughs> <laughs> that is entire. Well, that's part of the reason I'm having you on, Rebecca. Is I want to be mm-hmm. challenged. I want to challenge these biases <laughs> because any you know every any opinion too firmly held is Mm -hmm. uh, you know that's probably not great you should probably always have enough uh uh, your mind should be supple (laughs) enough to be able to take in new things and new approaches and so like i said when you said you wanted to talk about this i thought oh well okay we're gonna talk about (laughs) this we're not gonna like it and then you're like no i love it i'm like is she pranking me? Like, what's going on here? So, okay. Um, so the, the song wraps up. He says, then I'm laying out my winter clothes and wishing I was gone going home when the New York City, New York City winters aren't bleeding me. Guaranteed that Bob felt that uh, pretty mm-hmm. deeply, leading me going home. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade. And he carries mm-hmm. the reminders of every glove that laid him down and cut them till he cried out in his anger and his shame. I am leaving. I am leaving. But the fighter still remains now. The Simon and Garfunkel version is like a long song. It's like mm. I think it's around five minutes or something because it's got, it's got all that production in it. Which I like right. it. And when I listen to the Dylan version, I'm always like, oh god, that's like really long. It's like five six minutes. No, it's like two forty eight. No. He does the it's whole really song. Short. <laughs> he just is like just singing the lyrics and then he's out, man. So yeah, fully. So what do you think of the, these two? ideas of this song the one is this giant production and then you've got bob's version i mean do you feel like mm-hmm. one in one version kind of works better than the other in terms of putting across the story of the song i think they're two entirely different interpretations of it mm-hmm. i mean i like simon and garfunkel for their big sort of ethereal production sometimes but I think what you get from Bob's reinterpretation of it is you see the value he sees in the song, which is it's just like his sort of earlier stuff. And like you said, that's really cool if it is talking to his younger self and sort of the style of it, or the way his younger self would write. Um, and so the way that he does it is he just focuses on the lyrics themselves. Um, and that sort of doesn't, he doesn't add any production probably to not overshadow that or rely on that. Like you must think that these lyrics themselves are good on their own. And I think either of them are good to listen to, but it just shows what the artists think are would make the song better. Yeah. And again, it's a, it's a remarkably durable song that it can sort of withstand those vastly different interpretations uh, mm-hmm. again, right on top of each other, a year apart. Right. Uh, you know, and it, especially when you look at self-portrait and you say that what the stuff he was covering, he was covering a lot of old, really old songs, take a message to Mary and mm-hmm. things like that. And then something like this, which is contemporary. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it would have been in people's record players, you know, at the same time when this, this came out mm-hmm. again, it's, it's an extraordinary thing to pay tribute to Paul Simon. And I, 
you know, again, you can never try and guess what's in Bob's head because that's a mm-hmm. that's a fool's fool's errand. But I know that during those times, Paul Simon in particular was compared to Dylan, and and in a lot mm-hmm. of times in dismissive ways, like oh, he's a substandard Dylan, he's you know or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's even a song where Paul Simon mentions Dylan. He says, "We talk about Dylan." Uh, you think you're talking about Dylan Thomas, whoever he was. And I saw an interview with Paul Simon many years later on the later show, uh, the later with Bob Costa show that ran after Letterman, where he said that at that time that irritated him a little. And how, mm. how could it, how would it not, you know, how would mm. it not constantly being compared to this guy and being found wanting? You're a little like, well, I didn't ask for this. I'm just doing my own thing. Mm. But I wonder, is that, is that Dylan sort of throwing a message back to Paul Simon and saying, no, man, it's all good. I like your song. Yeah. I'll play one of yours. And if that's the <laughs> gesture, that's a wonderfully sweet way to do it too. kind of say, no, no, no. Something this guy wrote is good enough for me to do on my record. You know, it's all good. And yeah. I, I, I like to think of it like that. And if that's the case, that's, that's really awesome. That's the really sweet. I, I like that too. Um, paying tribute to his friend. And now that I do think about it as these two things coming out around the same time, I could definitely see where this version is inferior came from because you're going to compare them if they're both coming out at the same time. Whereas now we're so far removed from when either of them came out. It's like, I don't know if I'm coming at it now from a modern perspective, I'm just like, I don't feel the need to compare them as much because it's not like a pressing like pop cultural event it's just Mm -hmm. like some music that you can compare um there's actually i work at a movie theater and there's uh one of garfunkel's songs that plays at the end of a movie and i listen to it all the time and i just thought of this i have a friend who i work with who only knows the spanish version of that song and I had no idea that there was, it was originally in Spanish. That's mm. just a random tangent, but yeah. oh, uh, it shows how you don't really know. Uh, you're not going to compare the two songs if you're not like intimately familiar with both of them. It's not like pressing that they're both coming out around the same time. Well, that, that, that actually, that's a perfect segue to something I wanted to ask you about because, uh, and I've mentioned this on other episodes where like, I when I got into Bob, I could take like the religious stuff, the born again stuff mm-hmm. at face value because I was able to look at it with the hindsight of, well, it was a period that he went through, you mm-hmm. know, and, and right. he, went, he, he went into it and then he came out of it. So that's interesting. I can listen to those records. I would imagine that if you were a fan of Bob's during that time and he takes this mm-hmm. hard right turn, yeah. oh, kind of literally, you know, literally kind of and metaphorically. It would be scary because you're like, what, what, right. what is this guy doing? Now, so much of Bob has c- come before you became a fan. Mm-hmm. So do you find that a lot of the stuff that you go back to and listen to for him, and maybe even this is the case with film and television and other music, that you're able to appreciate it in a different way because you're freed from the expectations Mm, of what it yes. was. I would imagine a lot of people felt betrayed by self-portrait because right. it was really the first record that was universally like, because to this point, the guy had just been releasing one classic after the next. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was this. And people right. were like, well, a double album of singing Belle Isle? What the hell is this <laughs> crap? I want Visions of Johanna. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Now I can appreciate it separately because again, self-portrait has, has came out even before I was ever born. But do you mm-hmm. do you feel like that you uh, you enjoy a lot of Dylan stuff that maybe 
other people are more dismissive of? Because again, you're coming at it with absent the expectations. No, absolutely. And I think about this a lot when I think about like, why are the different generations uh, relationships to Bob Dylan as someone in pop culture so different? Um, And if you look at it, I think anyone in my generation and Gen Z and younger are like, they have no, there's no baggage. There's no cultural awareness of him. It's all a new discovery. And that comes with, you know, positive and negative emotions, which is like, you don't feel that pressure to constantly have an opinion on whatever new is coming out or feel like you have a set idea of who he is. Because if you, discover someone that's new and they're coming out with new stuff, your opinion of them is constantly going to be changing. Um, But with Bob Dylan, you've seen how much he can change and all Mm -hmm. the errors that have already happened that whatever he does that's new isn't going to be like the thing he's most famous for. It's not going to have that much pop culture effect. So you can just have your own opinions removed from all that context. Um, And if you look at each like, people who are his contemporaries, it's very well documented what the fans when he was first coming up thought of him. And then, you know, when he does the traveling Wilburys, that's a whole new people who come into it. And maybe if that was your first exposure to Bob, you'll have a kind of similar idea as people who are younger have of him, which is just like, he's this old guy. Um, I can discover it all on my own pace, on my own terms. I can just follow what I think is interesting rather than constantly have to like comment on every new thing that he does mm-hmm. in his new eras. Yeah, I think I think I went through that with the uh, Christmas in the heart because that right. a, a lot of older fans were like, what is this shit? What is <laughs> yeah. he doing? Why is he saying? And I was like, this is great. What are, what are you guys talking <laughs> about? You know, like what? what so, uh, yeah, yeah, it always helps to be freed of that. Like, so. I'm guessing, right, the first, like, Rough and Ratty Ways would have been the first record he put out since you became a fan. Yeah, it was pretty soon after I was, too. So I was like, oh, what a great time for me to become a fan with something new to enjoy. And the fact that it's good gives me more incentive to go check out his other stuff. Um, Right. Yeah. But you could enjoy it. You weren't, it wasn't like, oh, this has got to be the end all be all. Because right. there's 40 other records before this. And that's it. That's a great exactly. way to be able to, to appreciate something because you're free. Because yeah. we think about how big, like, you know, the, this review, again, the review that they gave, Rolling Stone gave Self-Portrait was like, I think John Landau called it shit, like literally called <laughs> it shit. And Dylan himself got mad. And you think about how much, you know, drama there was around that and how much Dylan felt the need to respond to his critics and things like that. Mm. And then you look at it, well, 50 years down the line, the record still exists. You'd mm-hmm. still, um, you could still play it and you could still talk about it, but who remembers the reviews? You know, they, right. that's all just, that's all just gone now. And this was the record that they had on uh, Pawn Stars, right? That's right. Yeah. When Bob did his, like one of his only 21st century television appearances, <laughs> it, they brought out a copy of Self Portrait and they were like, this record was uh, panned at the time, but now it's a collectible among Dylan enthusiasts. Like they just made something up about it, but they did. I think they did mention it had at least mixed reviews. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because yeah. now it's so, it's so far removed from when it came out. It's just like, yeah, that's just part of the tapestry of Bob Dylan to me. It's not like, oh, that's the only clunker <laughs> that he's ever done. Cause it's not, 
It's yeah. just like part of who he is. Yeah, and right, and and you look at it as a path, you know, a a a, a, a stone on the journey. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, this is he was. Oh, then he did New Morning, and then all right, then he was kind of laying low for a while, and then he came back big time in the mid '70s, and then mm-hmm. this and that. So okay, yeah, it's like I said, I am trying with for anything for any sort of entertainment that you take in. I am mm-hmm. trying to keep my opinions fluid enough to be able mm-hmm. to say. Uh, you know what? I, I didn't like this too much, and now, now you know it's better. And I'm, I'm learning, and I, it's, I'm actually getting, I think, more positive about entertainment that I take in, which is mm-hmm. ironic because I'm, I'm becoming very hateful, and I just don't want to deal with anybody <laughs> anymore. But like right. movie, movies that I watched five years ago, and I was like, eh, and then I watch it again, and I go, that was pretty good. Why was I, <laughs> was I cranky then? Like I don't understand. So, um. <laughs> I will say, I listened to the boxer this morning. I'm still mm. not really hearing in it what you're hearing, but that's, that's okay. That's it's totally, totally okay. fine. Yeah, exactly. And I think that people my age, even though we do, we can come at Dylan with a, an open mind, we still have a sort of irreverence about him where he's fair game to make fun of. He's so famous and mm. so like beyond our reach that it's fine. We can razz him. We can make fun of him because it doesn't really matter to us. It's all one mythic figure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I ask, I hate to put you on the spot. Can I ask, is there any Dylan song that you were like, and oh, no, I really don't like that one. Is there, is there one you could think of that just did not work for you and still. Oh, it's not? the ugliest girl in the world. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that okay. one is irredeemable. Okay. <laughs> We'll have to get to that one at some point too. Uh, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Okay, that's good. That's, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get, establish a baseline here, Rebecca. Right. Because I mean, <laughs> you are definitely the defender of of Bob stuff that most people do not bother to defend. So you got Hearts of Fire and the <laughs> Boxer. So I'm I've, now I know. Okay, right. ugliest girl in the world. That one's not working for you. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, like I said it's it's you know it's a unique item. Uh, of course, Bob himself sang it in concert with Paul Simon uh, in the 90s when they went on tour together. They, it's, uh, this, was, this was played live seven times. Uh, Whoa, seven uh, yeah, times. Seven times, but it was just done. It was, it was never Bob by himself. It was always him and Paul Simon together when, mm-hmm. back when they were doing shows together. And um, I listened. There's a couple of them on YouTube, and I went and listened to them. And they're, it's, it's got the feeling of two men singing what they know is a great song that people want to hear. Oh, that's you know? cute. Yeah. And that's nice. It's, <laughs> you can, um, the pictures of them singing together, they're both smiling. It looks really, it's really very sweet. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's, there's the kind of like valedictory to it of, of like, yeah, we're singing this great song. The song is 50 years on and it's still great. And people still love it. And Paul Simon's still a big part of his career. <laughs> Um, when he performed on the first Saturday Night Live after 9-11, he sang The Boxer. So, I mean, wow. this is a song that has, you know, remained in his, uh, you know, in, in his catalog forever, and it, and it will be. So, all right, well, Rebecca, I yes. was very, very worried that we were going to be able to <laughs> not get more than five minutes out of The Boxer to talk <laughs> about this, but... But as always, you make an eloquent case. So, oh, thank uh, you. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this very odd blip in Bob Dylan's career with me. I'm happy to. And I'd love if anyone else on Twitter wanted to reach out and talk to me about it. I'd like to hear any opinions about The Boxer. Yes. If you're listening to this and uh, you love The Boxer, let me know. 
I mean, it would be fascinating to find out what uh, what everybody thinks about this uh, again. This uh, strange little cover on the buried in the middle of uh, of self portrait. So, uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming back. I always thank enjoy you. talking to you. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Yeah. Um, so I am a freelance writer. So if you have any need for that, you can go to my website, rslayman.wixsite.com slash website. And if you just want to be Bob friends, I am at I threw the glass on Twitter. Um, you all should know that reference. And if you don't, please don't follow me. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any more dancing videos to come by any chance? I know that my you ran into trouble video. with the... Uh... Oh my gosh. Yes. You might have seen it if you're on Twitter at all. It got super viral. I was just like, people say you can't dance to Bob Dylan. So I recorded myself dancing to Rough and Rowdy Ways and it got <laughs> quite a bit of attention um tim heidecker liked it which was amazing nuts to me um but it got taken down because of copyright damn Aww. sony um but maybe i'll try to re-edit it or put out a new one if people want sports. it i know <laughs> <laughs> well again thank you so much for coming on rebecca again thank i always you. enjoy talking to you so of course everybody you can find back episodes of the show on our website fineworderpodcast.com you can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice and big thanks to our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hustle, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, and Paul Ruther for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So uh, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. And the voice, the human voice, can, uh, you know, convey all kinds of meanings that uh, you don't, uh, you wouldn't get just from the words. I mean, uh, Bob Dylan, who was... Uh, you know, not considered to be like a technically great singer, has, I think, in, 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 his, in the quality of his voice, the ability to convey more than one meaning at once with the same line, which is extraordinary.